righty then, here we go. Welcome in everybody. Welcome back to episode two of the Taxi Squad and our divisional previews, uh, preseason content, uh, presentation of Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. We are back again. Uh, the three gentlemen are three drivers of this evening with our van cab ready to take you guys on another journey through the Atlantic division tonight. Really excited to and fired up to be here with you guys again and take you through this second of our four division previews and uh let's get after it and uh, uh let's get going here we are Let's kick it off and we'll get into our teams tonight. Uh, but first, before we jump into the content, how are we doing, boys? How are we doing, Jay? Alan, how are we feeling after uh, episode one? Uh, uh, Jay, why don't, why don't you give us your thoughts? Oh, yeah, extremely excited. Um, honestly, so happy to be together with y'all um, again. And um, it's just it's just really fun, I guess, to do fantasy hockey um, discussions, uh, descriptions. Thank you so much to the listeners. Um, yeah. Very excited to get going. What about you, Alan? Yeah, uh, thanks for being gentle on us, everyone. Uh, it was a lot more fun to make the episode than it was to edit it. It took far too long. <laughs> but uh, yeah, first rodeo's done. Now the next one. Yeah, the team will give a shout out to Alan for sure for stepping up and trying to be the producer of the show uh, with support from Jay and I wherever we can, but, uh, his technical skills have certainly come in handy behind the scenes and we'll continue to refine that for you guys. And we encourage everybody to, uh, give us a rating and, and like us in five stars as much as you can on all of the podcast providers out there, or wherever you're listening. And if you're not already in the five hole fantasy hockey discord, please come on, join the community. It's uh, there's a lot of hockey talk, really starting to turn up there and a lot of non-hockey talk too if you want a good laugh they're always talking about something that's non-hockey uh personally i'm feeling really good after episode one it's an exciting time for sports all around you know first day of the nfl was today and we're getting real close to training camp if i'm not mistaken we are a month away from the season actually beginning so pretty uh it's a pretty great time for all of us sports fans out there and especially fantasy you know, sports enthusiasts with, uh, you know, everything in full swing and NHL drafts coming around the corner. And uh, it's going to be going to be a fun time for us all. And especially as we try to pump out more preseason content from the taxi squad with you guys over the next couple of weeks before we get into the in-season content. So what are we here to talk about tonight? Obviously I said it in the intro. We're here to talk about the Atlantic division. I think it's a, uh, you know, close to our hearts, the three of us, the the drivers here at the Taxi Squad, two Leafs fans and, and a Lightning fan on on the mics. Uh, we'll try not to spew out the fandom when we get to those teams because the episode will be closing with those teams. So we'll try to give uh, the other fans of the, the division uh, as much as much juicy uh, tidbits and gems as we can as we work our th- way through the division tonight. And, you know, stay t- tuned till the end and... Uh, 
Uh, we'll give our top three from each guy of where we, how we think this division is going to pan out. And, you know, we're going to put our, all our money in the pot with a couple of guys and, and, and see who we will be targeting in drafts for you guys from this division as key pieces for each of us. Uh, uh, once we do uh, our deep dive into each team. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let's get after it. Uh, and let's fire up the van cab. Everybody jump on in and Alan, why don't you start us off? We'll kick it, go get it going with Boston and yeah, Buffalo. Boston, man, that historic season last year, uh, only to get stomped by the Panthers. I, I don't know what it is about Florida. Uh, they have this season though, they have 23 off nights, which puts them on the lower end of the spectrum and they have 12 back to backs. Obviously the guy to have to draft high David Postanak. 113 points in 82 games last season shoots at least five shots a game which is insane especially if you got a league that counts shots uh he had 1934 time on ice last season uh i don't see him getting less ice time if anything he's gonna get more now they have lost bergeron and Krejci. who are you looking at there jay yeah um I think Boston and Buffalo, uh, at least personally for me, are two big question marks for different reasons. Boston obviously have finishing with 135 points last season was one of the was not even one of them. They were the best team in the league and they ran away by a country mile. The big question mark with Boston is the star power that was lost. Bergeron, you don't just replace a Selkie Trophy winner, multi-Selkie Trophy winner off the cuff and you don't replace him off the street. Krejci as well, um, that's a lot of synergy that's possibly going to be going away and a lot of experience in the locker room as well that's gone. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is Marchand going to be the new captain of the Boston Bruins? That wouldn't surprise me. At least was it he's on contract through the end of next season. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they give him the C. That team is definitely going to be losing a lot of, I guess, not cap, not captaincy material, but definitely experience in the locker room. And it remains to be seen whether or not that Boston culture that was definitely extremely positive and prevalent throughout, I think it was a holdover from the Chara days. If that stays in, I think it remains to be seen whether or not that locker room can stay that way. But obviously with Pasternak uh, still being there, Boston could definitely uh, repeat and I, it would not be entirely surprising to me if they somehow ended up competing for the President's Trophy. It's not an impossibility. An interesting fact I dug up, which is the Boston Bruins last season were one of only two teams, Tampa Bay being the other, that didn't have a power play one quarterback who played over 55% of the time, meaning every other team had, uh, with the exception, Tampa and Boston were the only two teams, every other team had one PB one QB that was eating up all those minutes. So this season could be a repeat of that. Charlie McAvoy came back. Hampus Lindholm kept his seat warm and kept it so well that they split time. That is fantastic for Boston and terrible for us as fantasy managers. So if you are basically looking to get a PP1 QB from those two teams, look to essentially get the guy that's drafted later in the rounds because that's... That's a great chance for you to get better draft, basically value. What do you guys think about Boston? Like Craig, I guess I'll go to you. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think, I think the question marks were there last year as well with an aging team, and you, you know, you saw Marchand take a little bit of a, a a step backwards. Pasternak is their best player by far. He's elite at all stages of the game in terms of scoring. He leads the team in points per sixty. He's in, has an elite 
uh, IPP rate. I think there are some opportunities for depth pieces here, potentially even, you know, more of a breakout candidate. You t- you saw Jake DeBrusque take a step last year. I understand. We all understand. We've touched on Bergeron and Krejci being gone. Uh, but I still think, you know, he's going to get, I would believe a bump in ice time because those two veterans are gone. He's still going to be, he's still projected according to daily face F to be on PP one. So I think Jake DeBrusque has some good value in the mid to late rounds, especially being uh, on the wing. I think you've got Pavel Zaka, although, you know, he was, uh, he outperformed his his career shooting percentage uh, slightly, but you know, I would say that's, Last year, I would say that's due to playing with Pasta. He's still projected to be there as their number, their one C. Whether he is a one C or not, you know, remains to be to be seen. But he essentially will slot into the PP one spot where Bergeron was as the bumper or the net front. He's going to be playing with Pasta. Maybe sometimes Pasta and Marchant. Marchant's projected to be on the second line with Coyle and DeBrusque. But there are all three of them, Pasta, Zaka, and Marchant are projected to be on PP1 with DeBrusque and uh, McAvoy, according to Daily Faceoff. I think the consensus here is you probably see team regression without their two top centers. I don't think they're going to, you know, I'm going to disagree with you, Jay. I don't think they are going to perform even remotely to the elite level that they did last year. But... Going into last season, a lot of people thought they were going to take a step back and look what they did. They crushed everybody and dominated. So, like, to underestimate this team is silly. They play a lot of great sound hockey. And I think even looking, you know, what were you talking off air? I don't even really see, like, a ton of, like, huge value because, you know, those those guys were mentioning, like, the Pastas, the DeBrusque, the Marchant, even the McAvoy, Lindholm. I'm going to say even Zaka, he might even get overdrafted in some leagues because of where he's going to be deployed. That's probably where it ends with me. And then, you know, I'm not going to steal Adam's thunder because I know he wants to talk about goalies, but I also think there's huge value value, but I'm going to let Alan kind of go from there with Allmark and Swayman just because they are still going to be a sound hockey team. They're still strong on the back end. I was actually talking to a, one of the listeners in discord after episode one, like he was talking about Marchand versus uh, Skinner as a, as a keeper. Right. And he was in a keep eight league. And my advisement to him, Marchant's actually been declining over the last three years. Not to say that he's not, you know, a really good player still, but he's showing signs that he's not the elite level he was, you know, three or four years ago. I still think he'll still be a good value in drafts. And I, you know, some of the mocks that have been going around with uh, other content providers, I, we've like we've seen him go quite late. So like if you're getting him in the fifth or sixth round, that's huge value for a guy that's probably going to, you know, 70 plus points, 25 plus power play points, 25 to 30 goals, good hit rate, good PIMS rate. You know, he's still a good player, but I don't think he's the player he was three or four years ago. Uh, so if I had to bet who's going to outperform him versus the others is I put my money on DeBrusque, right? Like if you're looking for value and then, I have Zaka on a lot of my, you know, draft boards going into, you know, as a late value C just because of where he's going to be playing and who he'll be playing with. Do I think he's going to be elite? Absolutely not. But do I think he could walk backwards into 70 plus points? Absolutely. Because of who he's going to be playing with and what he's going to be asked to do for that team now that Bergeron and Krejci are gone. But I digress. Let me uh, give it back to you, Alan, and please dive, dive into Allmark and Swayman before I do. But before that, I, I will say DeBrusque with that bump in deployment 
contract year. He's UFA after this, so good uh, good guy to keep an eye on. Quick uh, sneaky fantasy move. Marshan there, like you were right, he's declined the last couple of years, but specifically in the back half of the season. So if you can find someone who, uh, who values him a little too high, maybe trade him before Christmas and uh, get an upgrade there. But yeah, Allmark, Swayman, and Yahoo, they're going way too high. I don't even want to mention those ADPs. I, I still th- I think they just run it back this year. It might be a literal 1A, 1B. Like that was that was what I saw. And a lot of you probably got Allmark off the waiver wire. I know my wife did. Probably won your league, if not made it really deep into the playoffs if you did that. Either one of those, if you get them late, late, they'll win. I just, I, I don't know how much they'll win and how much goal support they'll get from this uh, team that took a step back. And I guess that point to clarify is that both Olmark and Swayman are probably going to get equal deployment if they're rolling it back to the 1A, 1B style. And I think last season, what a lot of people were very focused on the fact that Olmark was getting the bulk of starts, but weren't as eagerly following the fact that once Swayman was no longer hurt and healthy, they split the starts very evenly. Don't overdraft either of them with the expectation that they're going to be a bulk 55-plus 60-game starter. This is the sway. Yeah, look, let's let's be real, though. The season that Ulmerich just had, he's going to get overdrafted for sure. I think you're like, your zero G target is Swayman. I think he'll get faded a bit, and people will probably assume that Ulmerich is going to get the bulk of the starts. I agree with you guys. I don't think that's going to happen. What worked for them last season, I don't know why they wouldn't do that again. Quite frankly, they were both elite when started, right? Like, Swayman was good, very good for them when he was in net and I don't see why they would change that for what reason I don't really know but I would guarantee you that Allmark's going to get drafted so for me your target for depth you know 50-50 starts even if it's 60-40 Swayman still has great value at that late round value just because of his goals against average will be solid he's probably still going to get a a good a chunk of wins like everybody wanted to count these guys out last year right like Allmark's going to be the starter but I don't see it being more more than a 60-40 50-50 split right like and so Swayman for me is the goalie to target from them and you know before we move on to the Sabres like it kind of pains me because I got we got some really nice feedback from the big boy bangers like the triple B's I want to keep rolling that and we definitely are but this team makes me sad from a categories league you know contribution like Derek Forbore is is okay from a hits and block standpoint but the guy doesn't shoot at all Brandon Carlo is okay from a hits and block standpoint but like those guys are like waiver wire guys if you're in a categories league and you need hits or blocks maybe Boston has a Friday Saturday schedule going into the end of a week matchup and you could stream one of those guys for two games and hope they fill that category for you but I don't see like a real big boy banger target from this team unless one of you guys had somebody circled you know you got a couple shots shots on goal guys for sure but they're elite like you're not getting them in late late value even DeBrusque like DeBrusque to me is the value play in forwards and he's good shots on goal guy but he's not going to be late in your drafts not not now especially with his deployment so I don't know if you guys saw anybody with big boy banger opportunity but there isn't much like Milan Lichuch, Lichuch? Lucic. Yeah. 
La Lucic, he can't even it's skate Boston anymore. Bruins legend, Milan <laughs> Lucic. I mean, certainly there's no Farabee if we're if we're looking for a Farabee type guy. Um, well, I mean, the the big one too with Boston is like we've only seen the iteration of Boston that was a dominant league winning, um, league running away team, and generally one guy isn't up there collecting all the hits, collecting all the blocks because. You need to not have the puck in order to be hitting and blocking. So it's pretty pretty reasonable that Boston obviously might be lacking in some of those areas. The the other question I did also want to I guess like point out in terms of comparables would be um, unrelated to the big boy bangers. But whenever I think of last um, episode when we discussed the Pittsburgh Penguins and how Carlson's going to be overdrafted, but don't forget Latang's value. I think there's a similar value here, and I'm not certain which one's going to be overdrafted. I don't have their ADPs right now, but Lindholm and McAvoy, that's that's going to be a 50-50 battle for the PP1QB. Whichever one is not drafted yet and is still falling, 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 falling has immense value. And if you're drafting either of them, expecting them to be the immediate uh, first power play quarterback, I think you are probably going to be disappointed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, and I, I think those are probably guys like we talked about in the first episode. Like, if you can get McAvoy or or even Lindholm, like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round, like you've got pretty good value there. I, I don't know if there there'll be like those. Oh, I have to target those guys, right? I think there's a lot of question marks around Boston in terms of how the, how much they're going to score, regardless of pasta's credentials and and how elite he he is do i think he can carry the team 100 percent. i believe he can but they don't have great depth in their top six you know i agree with you alan i think debrusque has an opportunity again this year for sure especially being in a contract year he's going to want to get paid but like technically his breakout season was was last year and it left you wanting more from the guy all right so let's let's dive in here another team i'm super excited about i'm going to try to uh keep it professional, you know, for, for our listeners and our, our passengers, but similar excitement level for the Sabres that I have for the Devils. Jay, why don't you start, start us off with Buffalo and your thoughts and, uh, and then we'll pass it back to Alan from, from there. Yeah. Um, Buffalo is a really exciting fantasy team and obviously they have immense breakout potential. This is a young core, newly emerging team. There was one key point, which was, I think, despite not making playoffs last year, they were the third highest scoring team in the league. Only the Oilers and the Bruins scored more goals than them. The Oilers were one of the top teams in the West, and the Bruins were the best team in the league, and yet Buffalo didn't even crack playoffs in the Eastern Conference. They can't necessarily defend. They had three goalies they were rotating through all season. That could possibly represent immense value too, but I guess we'll let Allen deal with the goalie situation. <laughs> but players that are ex- insanely exciting and could potentially break out further. Uh, Tage Thompson, Alex Tuck, uh, Skinner still doing pretty well. Uh, Darlene was an absolute breakout last season. Um, not to mention, obviously, Owen Power, you know, coming off rookie season. I don't foresee him taking over from Darlene in PP1, but genuinely, who knows? Like, this entire team, like, the the moon, the sky is truly the limit. Dylan Cousins didn't even mention him, but immense top 6-4 was getting PP1 time last year as well. This team was fantasy 
heaven. It was a gold mine of value. The problem now for me is not that I don't think they could outperform, but it seems as if people have baked in, at least looking on the Yahoo ADP, people seem to have baked in that this team is going to break out. We need to rein in a little bit of excitement here and realize that this team has amazing potential, but do not fall in love with it. Tage Thompson's getting drafted second rounder. I've he seen is, him at the end of wait, the first, like, oh my goodness, like, which shocks me. He is a great player. That was a breakout season. But are we really going to treat him like and draft him higher than, you know, like other fantasy Star Wars? Like, yes, like higher than Crosby, higher than, higher than Sidney Crosby. Crosby, higher than Ovechkin. I, I'm going to go out on the limb, limb and, and disagree with both of you because I know where you're going with this. Yes. The man is already proven that he is elite points per 60. He is elite IPP on the power play. He's not IP, He's not elite in the IPP and five on five yet, but on the power play, he is elite. To me, that means there is positive regression coming even from a breakout season. I think he pushes the 90 point threshold, not easily, but I, I think he's going to push another 50 goal season or get close to that mark again, 40 plus for sure. And he's going to push the hundred point threshold this year. That is my prediction on Tage. Like I think this team, like you said, is very primed for positive regression as a whole. They had the number nine ranked power play last year. I I think that they could probably bump that up even more in terms of how they're scoring. Like if you look at some of the underlying numbers, you've got some really potential like breakout guys in Casey Middlestat. You've got, like you said, Alex Tuck, Dylan Cousins. Everybody knows who Jeff Skinner is. Like he's going to score 30 goals. He's going to, right? Like he might, he might even score 40 again. He's playing with Tage Thompson. He's getting that primo deployment on line one, power play one. I still think he has value as well. He's a shots on goal maniac, just like Tage Thompson is. I think there's just so much potential here. JJ Paterka is a, is another kid that I really like. Everybody should either watch list or draft late in, in drafts just to see what happens with him. He's projected to be on the second line with Cousins and, and Middlestat right now, according to Daily Faceoff. Their power play is elite. Like it's Right now it's projected to be Tuck, Cousins, Skinner, Thompson and Darlene, that to me isn't going to change. Could they take a, a jump as a power play unit this year and get to the top five? I don't see why not. Tage Thompson to me is their best player. He's already shown he's an elite goal scorer. I think that continues. He's got some great pieces around him. I think JU nailed it on the head there. I think Cousins has an opportunity to be even better next year. And then Owen Power as well as a depth defenseman for guys that are, are drafting in terms of offensive upside and, and potential to you know get a bigger role as he improves his overall game. Uh, you know, like you said, 5v5, I think he, he has that opportunity. I don't think he's going to take PP1 from Darlene. Darlene proved last, last year he can quarterback that power play and to a very high rate. I think your goalie, your 0G target for me, unless I'm stealing Allen's Thunder, is Devin Levi. In my opinion, like he's projected to be their starter next year, according to Daily Faceoff, with... UPL as his backup. Do they split time? UPL didn't take the reins when he was given the opportunity last year. So I'm not sure. I wouldn't be afraid of drafting these guys as like a tandem and like laden drafts as my last two picks. If, if, you know, I got a decent goalie candidate in like the 12th to 13th round, 
is the team sound defensively? No, like you said, Jay. They're going to take a lot of shots, but they're going to get a lot of wins as well. Like I think this team probably, for me in the division, not to uh, share any predictions yet, but I think is probably going to take the biggest leap for me in terms of overall finishing, and I think they are going to be a playoff team. I don't know what you think about that, uh, Alan, or if I missed anybody that you wanted to touch on, but what do you think about uh, the Sabres, buddy? Yeah, no, uh, like you said, they're one of the teams that could be uh, fighting for a playoff spot come the end of the season. As far as goalies go, like I thought they finally slayed the three-headed goalie monster when Craig Anderson uh, didn't resign. But yeah, now you got Devin Levi, who is waiver exempt, so he might be a little tricky. Uh, and we have such a small sample size from him. I think he played seven games. Yeah, he won five of them. But uh, that's in terms of goalies, in terms of any player, that's that's not a big sample size. Wait, Alan, I thought I, I thought we hosted the I thought we hoisted the chip after five games, or uh, or no, <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> no, just no, me that's the, another team the in the Atlantic ends. that does that. <laughs> um, I I really do think at the end of the day, Buffalo is worth mentioning in terms of the that PP one QB that I mentioned last chat. When it came to the Devils, when it came to the Rangers, when it came to Dougie Hamilton, when it came to Adam Fox, you get the chance to draft them, and you have to take them. Rasmus Dahlin is exactly in that spot. There is pretty high chance that Rasmus Dahlin is going to finish as the first overall defenseman in terms of points at the end of the season. If you have a chance to get Rasmus Dahlin, especially with that breakout top line, with third highest scoring in the entire division, get him. They do not grow on trees. You need him. But again, uh, in terms of this team being good, worth noting just as much as they scored the third most goals in the league, they gave up the most goals, well, the second most goals in the entire Atlantic division. Only Montreal was worse. So in terms of this division, Buffalo is a sieve. Keep in mind when you're drafting those goalies. Keep in mind, like, you getting Levi, like, he might get a ton of saves. That's great. He is not going to be getting you a very good save percentage. So keep in mind for your category leagues. High event hockey. Great for fantasy. Not so much for real hockey. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. I still think they're going to have a tough time defensively. They have some pieces on the back end, but you know, I think Matthias Samuelson being back from injury is going to help defensively. I actually think from a categories league, he's actually a pretty decent hits and blocks guy, but like they don't have a great defense beyond Dalene and Power, and Power is only entering his sophomore season. So like you can't expect their defensive game to change. And if you watch them last year, like they're very much a run and gun style offense right like they're looking to press the other team offensively in the offensive zone they're looking to pepper the puck on net which leaves a lot of opportunities and gaps for the other team to come back and attack just looking deeper into the numbers as you guys were chatting like obviously to me and I you know I know I disagreed with you guys I do agree going after Tage in the first round might be a little aggressive depending on who's available but like in all honesty I think he's going to be in the first top 15 picks this year regardless of what kind of draft you're in and I don't know if that's a stretch right like if he hit it's 100 points with 50 goals and like can actually become an elite player he's their best player from the underlying numbers like his IPP 5v5 is is elite his IPP on the power play is elite. He's his points per 60 is almost four. That's elite numbers. I think he could take another step this year, which is crazy because he was outstanding last year. The other guys I'm going to target, which I, you know, I never thought I would say, but like Skinner, you know, although he's not elite 
from an IPP standpoint, he's still his points per 60 is second on the team at almost the same clip as Tage, but that's a byproduct of playing with Tage. And then you mentioned him earlier, Jay, is, is Tuck, like always a solid player. I wish he could stay healthy. Like I think he actually has more upside if he could actually play a whole season. Super elite IPP numbers, but you know, still a solid over three points per 60. And then Dylan Cousins, like he's right there, like, you know, not elite numbers on the power play, but close to elite IPP 5v5 and, and solid just over three points per 60. Like those four guys, 100% are on my draft board. I'd love to get Tage in like the mid to late second round, but I really don't think he's going to be there in any drafts. And then the breakout guy that I'm going to continue to watch and I'll be watching through training camp, and I think you guys should and our listeners should as well, is like consider drafting Casey Middlestat. His underlying numbers are pretty close to elite. Like his IPP is just under elite. His power play IPP is just under elite. He's almost at three points per 60 he could be primed for a breakout and like daily faceoff has him projected to be on the second line this year with cousins and jj paterka just keep an eye on him and he kind of started to break out a little bit last year when he was hot cousins was cold and then they kind of flipped later in the season i wish i could talk about jack quinn but he blew out his achilles and it sounds like he's not going to be back till the second half of the season i really like him too but he might be a guy to either put on your watch list or stash because he was in their top six for the majority of the season and he did see some power play one time as well before he got hurt later in the year um please everybody don't don't draft victor olofsson's everybody stop waiting for him to be good he's not good like he's not i would rather see everybody draft middle stat peyton krebs decent third line center kind of like in that philip heedle genre when we were talking about the rangers last episode gonna run hot and cold might be able to grab him off the waiver if the sabers have a have a good schedule in a given week Let's talk big boy bangers again, like another team in the Atlantic. Not a lot of big boys here. Like not a lot of hits. Pretty spread out. Like Connor Clifton. Connor, I, was, I was just I was about to about say. He was brought in to throw the body. You've got the new guy, the, the big boy banger, Connor Clifton. Like he's going to be around 200 hits, but he doesn't do a whole lot else. So yeah, there you got your one big boy banger from the from the Sabers and Jordan Greenway is supposed to be that player, but he never turned into that player. So you can't really bank on him doing much. This team, to me, you're drafting four points. This team, to me, is a points league goldmine. There is so much value here in terms of points and goals and assists and power play points. Like, go crazy, everybody. And yes, I'm super high on Tage. If I had draft pick 12 and he was there, I would take him either at 12. There we or go. At... And that's, that's where I've seen him go. And that's that's honestly, to me, if it's a snake and you have 12 and 2-1, I think that's an unreal value. Because guess what, Alan? You could get him and Crosby together. Like, lock your C's up for the rest yeah, of the season. I don't know season, if I'd right? want to take two C's on the, on the bend like that. I was just saying, you compared him to Crosby, so I'm just saying like you could <laughs> potentially get them both there at the turn, right? Th- think about this for a second. I was looking back at previous year's seasons. If if you had Kaprizov, Kucherov, Connor, Ovechkin, and Tage, who do you think would have had the most shots last season? Connor, Ovechkin, Tage. Kaprizov. I feel like the answer is Tage because of Buffalo. Like (laughs) the way, but yeah, it is. Didn't he have like 330 shots or something like that? 331 or something like that? Yeah, 295 shots. He, it's it's cherry picked. It's cherry picked stats, obviously, because he beat out Ovechkin. 
by one. But it's a list out shooting Kyle Connor. I didn't know he could, you know, like that's that's insane. And if Tage is truly like producing at this clip, Tage could be like out for a serious breakout further. Hey, TJ said it in our intro show. It's black and white with the numbers. And you look at the underlying stuff. It's all elite from Tage. Like, that's why I think he could touch 100 points this season relatively easy. He's playing at an elite level at all phases of the game. Even if you go back and, like, what we were talking about Boston, right? Like, when we first started, like, his IPP numbers, both power play and on 5v5, are right there with Pasta. The only difference is Pasta is at a 4.2 points per 60. This is from last year. Tage is at a 3.9. So if Tage can get over four points per 60 this year, he could be just as lethal, if if not already, as Pasta is, right? That's, to me, is a guy that I'd be targeting, especially if you can get him to mid to late second round in some drafts. And I'm just going to make a public service announcement to the listeners and to the team and anybody else that's jumped on board with the Taxi Squad in the last two episodes. If you are drafting based on Yahoo ADP, please do not go find other find other services that have rankings because their rankings are atrocious. They're they're not even remotely where we would say, "Yeah, cool, guys, go get this guy at that value," right? <laughs> well, the ADP is is across all leagues, right? All Yahoo leagues, which means you're really competing against other managers. Some of them pay attention, some of them some of them are drafting and then, you know, literally, like Alan said, asleep at the wheel, right? So, yeah, the ADP doesn't represent your specific league. Yeah, and I was looking at comparables before we jumped on tonight. And, like, even, even like, Fantrax. Fantrax is a little bit better. Like, they seem to value goalies in more of a, yeah, more of a realistic sense. But even some of their ADPs for for players, and I'm not saying that the three of us are going to tell you exactly what to do and everything's going to be right, because I can't wait to share stories of our failures and successes in our own leagues. I think I have like five drafts coming up. It's going to be an interesting topic of conversation. I think I might even throw a a show idea out to you guys, a breakdown of our first two drafts or our home league drafts, just to let the listeners in on like our strategy after the draft. Like, who are you targeting? Did somebody get sniped? Those types of conversations. But I don't want to digress too far away from the Atlantic Division into uh, what a, is an interesting topic. But so let's dive back in here. I think that was a good depth conversation about Buffalo. So let's dive back in. We'll go back to you, Alan, and we'll we'll go to uh, the Red Wings. Oh man, yeah. I fucking hate this team so much. Um, <laughs> it's a personal <laughs> thing. Uh, but yeah, 27 off nights, 10 back-to-back. 10 back-to-backs, they're, I think that puts them down toward the bottom. Biggest acquisition for them is hometown hero Alex Debrinkat. I'd say his ADP's decent, but he had 66 points with the Pens last year versus 78 with his last season in the Blackhawks as an arguably worse team. Oh, that's right. I was reading out earlier today. Like, I guess he was not a big fan of his deployment on the Sens, which uh, that could be a hit piece, whatever. But I mean, this guy, he's going to get top line, top power play on Detroit with the best they have to offer. So we'll uh, we'll see what he does. I mean, I realistically, yeah, 78 points. I'd say that's a solid benchmark to take him off of. But uh, I, I before before we uh, get in the weeds, I want to I want to get a little tinfoily here. Like as much as I love cider with Ghost Bear coming in this year, he put up 50 points. Yeah, two previous seasons on a terrible Arizona team. You don't typically bring a guy like Ghost Bear in to, unless you want him to run your power play 
and this is the last year of Cider's ELC. I'm wondering if front office brought Ghost Bear in to kind of tank Cider's value a little bit to uh, bring that contract, that next contract down. Yeah, look, you're, I'm gonna, you're going to touch on it, so I'm going to touch on it now. I, I think Cider's a bit overrated, to be honest, offensively. You know, if you dig at it at his numbers, if he is... But that's his like, ceiling, though, good. is that power play. Like, without it, yeah, he'll get you some hits and blocks, but not much else. Gossespierre is going to get first crack at PP1. He's a better offensive defenseman. Like, I'm not a huge fan of his. I kind of, like, see him just as kind of who the but Leafs brought in. he's a Florida boy, man. To, I gotta like quote, him. unquote, run their power play. <laughs> Personally, I think I would prefer if the Leafs had brought in, brought in Gossespierre than the guy that they brought in. But that's just my personal opinion. So I do I do tend to agree with you on that. Honestly, their back end, now that Hironik's gone... Because he went to Vancouver, you know, right before the trade deadline or around the trade deadline last uh, night. Yeah, last was, yeah trade deadline. Uh, but that's why I think they were showcasing him. And that's why I thought like, okay, Heronik's gone. It's Cider's power play now. But uh, I don't I don't think so. All honesty, they also, didn't they just get Petrie from the, the Pens? Yeah, it was a truffle they shuffle. Did, they did. They, yes. Yeah, it was so a So weird... like, as part of that, a part of that three team shuffle so Dubis could fit Carlson in with the pens they got Petrie as well so like Petrie's a better overall defenseman than Sider is in my opinion like I think Sider now takes two back seats not only offensively but overall in deployment like right now if you look at daily faceoff Sider's projected to be on the top pairing with Jake Wallman who actually showed a bit of a, like kind of some flashes last year of being a half decent two-way defenseman uh, but Petrie's supposed to be playing with Sherratt. Oh, God, old man pairing. Me and Jay know all about that in Toronto. Good Lord. Uh, and Gostas Fair. Oh, my God. Gostas Fair is supposed to be on the third pairing with J- Justin Hall. Oh, so glad he's gone. But hey, this so is a lottery team, not a playoff team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think this team is going to be any better than they were last year. Their first line is good. It's not elite, but it's good. I think your their two best players, according to the advanced stats... Larkin. Yeah, Larkin by far, and probably to bring it now, and then David Perron. But Perron's also getting up there in age, and he had a really bad season last year. And I'm not sure it really improves because they brought in JT Comfort and overpaid him. And JT Comfort is a shutdown center. Like, he's not an offensive player, despite what he showed flashes with Colorado. But that is, I think that was just a byproduct of who he was playing with to me i think you probably see lucas raymond take a he'll be better this year because i think that line overall with the brinkat is better like larkin and the what you said uh the brinkat's adp is okay what is it alan what 57.3 uh fan tracks if you can get him 79.3 i'd i'd say that's that's good value if you can get him in the set, like pick 70 around there, like that's a really good value. You know, I do think he bounced back. I think he becomes a 70 point player playing with Larkin again. Like Larkin's going to be 80 plus, right? Like he's a good solid 1C. I really do like him. Although, you know, his underlying numbers aren't elite. They're close. Like he's definitely their best player by and far. And he's not slept on this season. Like I seriously thought you'd be able to get him like Malkin ADP, like 100. But no, he's he's going in. 65 60 it's just an interesting team that you you think should be better but they're not right and that's okay (laughs) i'm okay with that (laughs) 
I would put Jonathan Bergen, 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 Bergen. What's his last name? Bergen. Yes, Jonathan Bergen. He's projected to be on the second line with Comfer and Perron. I put him on a watch list after drafts. He's not going to get drafted, but he's an interesting young player, and he does shoot at a decent clip. Just somebody to watch in terms of deployment. If he were to get any PP one time, could be interesting. You know, right now, Daily Faceoff is showing Cider is going to be on PP one with Gossesfer on PP two. I go back to what you said, Alan. I disagree with that just because Cider is a little bit overrated as an offensive defenseman. You know, Daniel Sprong, guy also shoots at a good clip. Uh, showed that kind of in flashes when he gets top line deployment or top six deployment that he can produce offensively. Another watch list guy f- after your drafts. There isn't much more there other than for me, Larkin, Debrinkat, even Perron. I think Perron will be better this year. I think he bounces back from his poor season last year. Not that he's playing with anybody strong 5v5, but their power play is okay. It was a mid-level power play last year. Does Debrinkat bump it up to like a top 15 power play might jump up a little bit in the to the top half but it was in the bottom half of power plays last year i don't really see that changing to to be honest larkin to brink at perron late 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 in drafts as a depth winger i think petrie still has some value in a cats league like he contributes across all categories hits blocks and shots and ghost you know getting a late pp1 quarterback always solid value regardless of of where they are and you know cider does do peripheral things i wouldn't say like he has no value but he's now to me more of a categories defenseman you know moving forward right because he hits he blocks with the point upside yeah he hits he blocks and he shoots for a defenseman at at a high level right like with a points upside if he were to get pp1 back from goss and, and you know what? He's better defensively than Gosses Bear. So do they maybe roll, rotate them? I think the thing with the Red Wings this year is two conceptual things. So all teams in the NHL in a capped league, there's a range. Terrible teams might be terrible, terrible, but I don't think Detroit falls comfortably in that category. I think last season it seemed as if they, they completely dropped into nowhere. But part of that was also because Huso, who took over the net the previous season from Bennington, right? Stanley Cup winning Bennington. He took over the net, chased him from the net in St. Louis. And I think Detroit got him, expecting him to be exactly that sort of player. And he wasn't. But again, if we're talking regression, maybe it's possible if Huso stands on his head the first 15 games of the season. There was a stat I read on Reddit before that was pretty mind-blowing. They said the first 20 games in the season, 80% of the teams in playoff position by the first 15 to 20 games are also in playoff position by the end of the year. And so there's not much change aside from that very beginning, and the margins are very small. Is it possible, I think, if this team ends up in a pretty, like, you know, they're sitting on the bubble in terms of playoffs... I think, ironically think for Cider, the better Detroit does, the worse it is for Cider's deployment. Because they will, he is not that great in terms of power play. Completely agree with Craig, I completely agree with Alan, he is not that great in the power play. I also know because I had him last year and he does absolutely nothing with the man advantage. But I think if that team is terrible, they're just going to play the guy because they want to give the guy a young guy, extra minutes of experience. It's interesting that you say that and just a little nugget on Cider because we're talking about him. And I do agree. I think he's overrated in terms of where he's probably going to fall in drafts. But like over the last 45 games last year, he was on a 55-point pace. So to Allen's point, still has some offensive upside, although it's not elite. He's not 
showing on the underlying numbers that he's an elite offensive defenseman. So that's why I kind of lean towards overrated in terms of his offensive ability. But that's an interesting nugget there. And like again, I, he has category coverage big time. So don't don't discredit the kid too much. Then I think the power play is going to be better with Debrinket on it anyways. Like I said, I think Debrinket can definitely get back into the 75-plus points, pushing over 80 if him and, and Larkin click. Does the hometown thing happen for him? Does it make him play better? And, and another interesting nugget on the sprong. I would love to see if this guy could get top six deployment anywhere. Crazy stat. He was 12th overall in the entire league last year in points per 60. Like, that is insane. He would have been on Seattle last season, right? Yeah, correct. <laughs> like, that is in, that's insane. Like, but he never gets top, the top six deployment. He didn't get it in Seattle either. But I'll put him on my watch list just for shits after a draft and see maybe somebody gets hurt or somebody. You know, David Perron, as I said, like he's probably going to bounce back because he has a proven track record, but he is like almost 40. So does he get hurt and Sprong gets an opportunity in the top six? Maybe if he's in a, if he can produce at that elite level behind the scenes in the advanced stats, there is maybe something there under the hood. I mean, at the end of the day, I talked very positively as if they could bubble up, but this team, you know, is still finishing near the bottom of the Atlantic last season and it depends on how much we believe in Debrinket basically because Debrinket could make all the difference in the world and could continue like Debrinket's not unfamiliar with languishing teams at the bottom of the NHL standings either fuck them but I also believe they could be a bubble team <laughs> I do I and, and like don't discredit the value that's there right like Debrinket Larkin Petrie even Cider, as much as we're kind of debating back and forth where he falls, cost to spare, they're all going to go mid to late in your drafts. Maybe not Larkin and Debrinket. They're going to go fourth, fifth round. Debrinket might push third round, right? Like, that's all good value for, you know, their top pieces. And then, you know, Alan, I don't know if you want to touch on it or not. Like, even though they weren't great last year, Huso was pretty good for them in terms of goalies. Uh, he... Finished with an eight nine five save percentage. Ah, that's not. But how many how many wins did I'd he have? I'd be shocked if it was more than twenty. But um, no, I mean now he's got Reimer and Lyon, kind of a little bit of depth there. So we'll see if it either them or serviceable. Okay, so I was I was wrong. He had a sub nine hundred goals, uh, save percentage. That's not good. But I think that's because of the team that's in front of him. But he had 26 wins. Like, that's not, that's okay. It's not elite, but it's good. It's pretty good for being on a bad team. Don't think he has any competition. You know, I know, I know James Reimer and Lyon, like, they're not taking many starts from him. Like, I think they'll roll Huso probably 70%, if not more, of the time. So, like, he's, he'll be a zero G candidate for me, for sure, in some leagues, if he's there late. Even as my last goalie, my third goalie in the, in the leagues where you want to carry a backup. He does have a little bit of value in my mind, even though he did have a sub 900. Okay, so that's enough about Detroit because they're probably not going to be good and they're not fun. That's right. To talk Fuck about them. and they're not exciting <laughs> to watch. And Alan hates them. Jay, why don't you take us and give us your uh, opening thoughts on yeah, Florida uh, on the Panthers? Um, everyone remembers that Stanley Cup run. Uh, they 
have a lot of interesting pieces. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, I think they said recent, most recent updates said that Kachuk is projected to be back, I think, by the beginning of the season and if not early November, which means he's getting drafted, I think, even an average of like seventh. So he's basically drafted as if he's expected not to miss any time at all. Montour, also a PP1 quarterback, high value. Take them if you can. Barkov, got to mention Barkov. And for Hagee, Florida, in some ways, I guess I would give a slight caveat saying that this team was a previous President's Trophy team that seemed to play all of last season in the regular season, not to par, and definitely turned it on for the playoffs uh, across the board. The question is, we are playing in fantasy for the regular season. Do we really see this entire team coming on and swinging through? I made some mentions in the notes as well that there are definitely injury risks in this team, uh, with Ekblad, for example, being the classic guy that gets hurt halfway through. There's question mark of whether or not a player that comes back injured is going to play to the same level. Like Montour, for example, his underlying metrics last season were incredible. It was also the first time he'd ever done it at age 28. This team has a lot of question marks for me aside from Matthew Kachuk. But again, this team was killing two seasons ago, 7-1, 8-2 on route to President's Trophy that didn't seem all too difficult for them. But in terms of fantasy and which guys you're going to get on consistent deployment, even on power play quarterback ones, there's a lot of question marks. Take Matthew Kachuk. He's a right winger. Very rare. It's the most rare forward position there is. Try to see if you can snag Montour a little bit later if he's starting on IL+. Plus. Other other options could be Forsling or even Oliver Ekman-Larsen. The other guys, and I'm including maybe even the goalies, and maybe I'll leave some for Allen, but there's a lot of question marks across this team in terms of consistent high draft capital value and deployment. Yeah, let me just jump in before Allen does. So Montour and Ekblad are both supposed to be missing at least a month, if not two. So they will not be ready for the start of the season. So that puts a giant circle Forsling of awesome season, potential baby. for at least six to eight weeks of Gustav Forsling. He will be their PP1. And he has some sneaky, interesting underlying numbers for a defenseman. And he, when he's been given the opportunity in the past, he's been able to produce offensively. So... For those that are looking to stash Montour, he's a nice little late brown pickup that some people maybe uh, haven't even noticed that Montour and Ekblad are going to miss time. Uh, I'm I'm one to punt Ekblad to the curb. I don't think he takes PP1 back from Montour. I still think he's a high-level defenseman when he's healthy, but that has not been the case over the last three to four seasons. What did Alan call them in episode one? Band-Aid Boy. Band-Aid Boy. (laughs) A Band-Aid Boy. I think he can be labeled one of them for sure. But Alan, what are your thoughts, buddy, before I jump in and, and go a little too deep? Yeah, no. Um, so first off, I love this team, um, even though they are not my real Florida team. When I first started playing fantasy, used to get sneaky value from them. Like no one knew who the fuck Barkov was. Like, so I think the first season I played, I picked him up off waivers. Like no one who knew who he was. But now you you got to pay the troll toll to get him, which sucks. I think Barkov bounces back to point per game. I absolutely agree with Kachuk being a top 10 draft pick which seems crazy but uh yeah forcing season it's on but i would say the biggest variance 
with this team the past couple seasons has been a couple coaching changes. Because remember that President's Trophy season, they had Coach Q coming in. Um, everything looked good. Then the the one thing happened. So they had to put the assistant coach in for the season. And then this past season, they did not go with that assistant coach. They went with Paul Maurice. A lot of, a lot of shuffling. But hopefully now... After having that full season under Paul Maurice, they can get back to get back to some kind of normal. Um, except for Bob, he'll still be terrible. I I don't trust in him at all. I honestly think he was a product of the the Columbus Blue Jacket system under uh, Tortorella. But yeah, oh oh oh, contract guy alert: Sam Reinhart, UFA after the season. I kind of thought that Florida had signed him a little bit longer after that trade with Buffalo, but uh, no, uh, right wing eligibility, uh, power play one. Good, uh, good sneaky guy to keep your eye on, but uh, yeah, no. Back to you, Craig. Right on, ta- on target there, Alan. I think Barkov bounces back to a point per game player, and I think that allows Reinhardt to bank- bounce back too. Like he was atrociously slow out of the gates last year. Like there was people just on fire because he was so good the year before. Just like, do I drop this guy? What do I do with him? I agree with you that Barkov drops or bounces back to point per game. And, and to me, that allows Reinhardt to bounce back because he's on the right wing with Barkov. Kachuk is an elite player. His numbers explode off the page analytically. You know, Barkov, he's elite uh, IPP. He's elite power play IPP. He's tops on the team, points per 60, just over four with Barkov and Verhage right behind him. Like, I think, that, again, this is just a deep, team offensively i think they're going to score a lot you know to jay's point are they going to juggernaut people again i don't i don't think so i think they'll be kind of an up and down team because they have goalie bob in net and you never know what you're going to get from him i don't know they're missing two key of defensemen for the first two months of the season but like there's i think there's still a lot of value in their forwards your top two guys are kachuk and barkoff barkoff if you can get in the third round that's crazy value for a point per game center you know, being second on the team and points for 60, uh, you know, don't sleep on Verhage. Like he had a breakout campaign last year. I think he continues that. There's no reason to think he's not going to. He upped his shots on goal. He was third, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, third on the team shots per 60 to just over three last year. I think Reinhardt bounces back because of his deployment with Barkov. Their power play was... 10th overall in the league i think there's positive regression even to get it a little bit further up there but i still think there'll be a top 10 power play i think it hurts them a little bit that montour is hurt because he's much more elite offensively than forsling and like i watched quite a bit of the panthers games last year especially in the playoffs like montour jumps off the page to me and like i was a fan of his coming out of junior and when he got drafted by the ducks like all I said to my buddies back in the day when that when that was like he just needed opportunity. Like back then he was there on their third pairing, wasn't getting deployment, but this kid just needed an opportunity. And when he got it, look what happened last year. But I still think he gets 50 points when he comes back because I think as long as he's healthy, I think he takes PP1 back from Forsling unless Forsling takes a jump like he did and the power play is super elite for the first two months of the season then I don't think they'd probably make that change right away but like Montour had elite power almost elite level IPP on the power play last year and was 2.2 points per 60 last year like for a defenseman especially a, a power play quarterback like that's that's legit 
And like, I think if he was healthy coming out of training camp, he would probably repeat that, you know, he would be in that 60 to 70 points range with 25 plus 30 plus points on the power play just because of who he's playing with and what he can do from the point as a defenseman. So for me, like, and like for the listeners, like I traded for him in two of my dynasty leagues already just to stash him. Like that's how much I like him and believe in him. And like, I don't think Ekblad's ever taking that back from him, regardless of Ekblad being, you know, still a very, very good defenseman when he's healthy. But I think he's also kind of in that cider boat for me, I think he's a little bit overrated as an offensive defenseman because he can't stay healthy. Like he is a band-aid boy, as as Allen has has stated. Like I don't until he can actually play a full season again. Like how can anybody trust in him, right? And, he, and they used to put Keith Yandel on that power play over him. Correct. Yeah, like Yandel was stealing power play time from him when Yandel was there. So like I don't see him taking it from Ekblad or sorry, from Montour or from Forsling, depending on who gets back first. So like, I think Forsling season on, I I guarantee you, you can get him with great value, especially to ride him into the first two months of the season. And if you can stash Montour later in that same draft, because Montour is probably going to be slow at the gate. Because he, he, yeah, missing training camp, like being out. Yeah, yeah. Slow start. Yeah. And it's his sh- it's his shoulder, right? The injury. So he, I don't know if he'll be able to shoot at the same level, right? But like, for me, it's beyond Kachuk. It's Barkov. It's Verhage. I think Anton Lindell has a little bit of sneaky value. Uh, if you had, if I had to pick somebody breaking out, I I liked. I think it was him. He was getting some PP one, kind of getting rotated in there. Last year, everybody shouldn't forget about Sam Bennett, even though I don't really like him as like he's on my list. Like Craig does not like list, but being 2C there playing with Kachuk and Verhage, there's still value there. He's not projected to be on PP1 with those guys, but like he's still getting 5v5 deployment with two of their elite forwards in their top six. And then one of their interesting pickups in the offseason where a lot of guys might disagree with me you guys might even disagree with me but if he gets a deployment that daily faceoff is projecting with Barkoff and Sam Reinhardt is Evan Rodriguez like he is he shoots a lot he's not very accurate with his shot but he's proven before when he was with Colorado that he can produce might be a hot and cold player he might be a good streaming guy from florida or and he might be a watchlist guy after your draft but if he does get that deployment 5v5 which is probably you know 15 to 16 minutes a night he's still going to shoot at a pretty good clip and will get scoring opportunities playing with barkoff and reinhardt right a playmaking winger and then a solid point per game center like he's he's sneaky value for me even if he's a guy that you target to stream from florida when they have primo schedule uh in a given week and and then lindell is yeah i think i think again i think to me florida is one of those teams like just lots of points league value man what's with this division why is there no big boy bangers in this division a lot of there's too much skill in this division no wonder i get so fucking mad watching it now it's not old school hockey it's all sleepy it's either six five or fucking two two and it's a track uh, yeah it's just all run and gun hockey which is fun but like somebody hit somebody i mean i I think the problem too is fantasy hockey is always a fine balance between a team of high floors 
in a team of endless ceilings. And I think you can't fall in love with a team that has too much of either, and so you need a risk of both. But the problem with Florida is I think everybody mentions you can go full tilt on this team just has some really low floors, and they do. Like, if you are unavailable, availability is the best ability. So being injured means that player is getting no fantasy points on your team. And so their entire PP1 scenario is low floors. But we're in a weird situation where with Montour getting picked up, he was not drafted last year and picked up in almost all waiver wire formats. He could be drafted higher in a league where he's starting on the injury list and he'd be getting drafted at least, whereas the previous season he wasn't getting any draft capital at all. And that's a huge question mark to not know where the power play one quarterback on a team is going to be. That's not great for us as fantasy managers, and that's what Florida, I think, represents. They represent, yes, an amazing, amazing peak. Could this team, if everybody comes together, if Forsling plays well right out the gate, if Bob can figure out what's wrong, if Spencer Knight can come back from rehab, this team, again, is an ex-President's Trophy team. But, I mean, this team barely snuck into playoffs. How close were they to getting out last year? They were, well, multiple times, one goal away in a in an overtime and you know this yeah, team we're barely ta- snuck we're talking, in this is a bubble team you know oranges and apples here jay we're, we want to see that fantasy value i could give shit if florida makes the playoffs or not <laughs> like, i, I want to see who's going to score for me when i draft them or, or if i don't draft them and like i we i'm just looking at some of the projections from dauber hockey here in terms of like where they see guys fall and like obviously kachuk's projected to be at over 100 points again Again, to your point, like, is he fully healthy? I don't know. Like, is his sternum healed? You break your sternum or fracture your sternum. I don't know what that does to a player like him. Like, Barkov's projected to be a points-per-game guy, but then you have, like, huge value, man. Like, you have, like, guys, you know, projected in the 60-plus range of 70-plus range, Reinhardt for Hagee, Lindell, even Montour, Ekblad. Although, you know, I'm bashing him for being a Band-Aid boy, you know, he still has offensive upside when he is healthy. So if he comes back and can play even a 5v5, he still has high offensive upside. And once you go through your power play quarterbacks, which we talked on the last episode, finding high upside offensive defenseman is hard to find. I personally am not going to draft Ekblad anywhere, but I would understand why people would, right? Like in terms of his offensive potential, right? And, and his upside and his proven track record of when he's healthy, right? Absolutely, except the problem is I don't think you can leave and exit a draft and expect to see Ekblad or expect to see Montour just ha- sitting around, hang out on a waiver wire, which means if you want to participate yeah, in that upside, you're going to need to draft them. But with them starting on the injured list, it's a really dangerous game. You could get burned really bad if you waste draft capital too early on the Florida Panthers. Aside from Barkov, aside from Kachuk. All right, well, time check here because we want the listeners to continue to listen to us and not be like, oh my God, these taxi guys, they're really running up the fares here and want all of our time and our opportunity in our ears. 
I'm going to uh, say let's we're, we're going to do Atlantic in. I knew this was going to be a passionate division because all of us have invested emotion and fandom in this division. So we're going to do something super exciting. I hope for the listeners, we're going to release this uh, division in two parts. Uh, Atlantic Division One, which was the first uh, first four teams, and Atlantic Division Two, which will be the last four teams. So with that, boys, let's say so long. Let's make sure everybody pays their fares. Let's say adios, and uh, we'll see you uh, in a couple of days with Atlantic Division Part Two uh, in your ears uh, with Montreal, Ottawa, Tampa Bay, and uh, Toronto coming up in Part Two. So. We still haven't talked about how we're ending this damn show yet. We gotta figure that shit out. Nope. (laughs) But, uh... To be continued. We'll be back. To be... To be... (laughs) To be continued. Atlantic Division. You pick you up later. All love. Good night, everybody.